0: You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists, and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today we're delighted to welcome Jackie Coppell and Jordan Warona to the show. Jackie is a digital media consultant and the founder of Pinnacle, a dinner and event series for leaders and visionaries in the entertainment industry. Prior to Pinnacle, Jackie served as the head of talent at Awesomeness TV. She is also the creator and host of everyone's favorite political satire YouTube channel, Newsy News. Jordan Warona is a talent manager at Collective Digital Studio. He began his career at APA and Paradigm Talent Agency before moving over to Fullscreen, where he served as the VP of talent for two years. Jordan and Jackie, welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to have you guys here. Yeah,
1: no, it's awesome.
0: So today's discussion, as you may have guessed, centers on talent management and working with digital media influencers. So, Jordan, to kick things off, can you give us some context for what talent management is?
2: Yeah, I feel like that's a that's a broad question to lead things off with. We are representing a group of people who are now coming into the entertainment world in a lot of new ways. So traditionally, You know, we had actors on TV and actresses in movies and and traditional stuff, radio and authors and all of that. And with the internet becoming such a a huge entity, it also increased the amount of uh, talent that we have. Now we have you know like 77% of america is considering themselves a creator and that means that all of these creators whether they be you know super talented or have the ability to control an audience or or gain an audience they can all make revenue from that so the industry over the past 5 years has really developed into you know an opportunity for all of these creators who are up and coming now through the internet and digital. And for people like me and companies that I've worked at to manage those people and to manage their careers and and see how far we can go. Jackie, anything to add?
1: I think the only thing to add is that the way the digital management space has developed is there are different also kinds of managers. And there's this sort of traditional talent manager that represents you and your career. But then at least for, I think for the people listening, they know it's sort of the MCN world, the multi-channel network world. There are also people who work for an MCN and work directly with talent, which is the way that I really worked with talent. I didn't represent them directly in the sense that I did not get a commission. I had a salary through Awesomeness TV, whereas a traditional talent manager does operate sort of 360 traditionally, and works on the different facets. I had the opportunity to, to sort of wear both hats depending upon the talent, the size of the talent, et cetera. And that really can determine how much involvement someone has, if, especially if you're coming from the MCN world. And then oftentimes people are represented by all sorts of entities, agents, managers, MCNs, etc. and a lot of cooks in the kitchen. But-
2: It's a lot a, of cooks in the kitchen. <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. So,
0: so let's yeah. come back and talk about the various players who are involved in these deals. But first, Jordan, you know you worked in traditional the traditional talent world mm-hmm. and then bridged over and kind of worked in, in digital as well. Yeah. What are the main differences between the two?
2: Well, I think, you know, even for now, as we're we're still kind of approaching this this new phase of of all of these new talent and these new mediums that people are watching entertainment on. So, you know, the traditional world had been there when I had got there for so long. I mean everything was was in stone. When I started in the mailroom, it was Hey, you get this guy his newspaper at 705 a.m. and if you don't you're fired. And now it's it's kind of like the Wild Wild West a little bit still even though it's been about 5 years. So a lot of the things that were going on in traditional were kind of already there. The tracks had already been paved and they've been paved since, you know, far before our time. You know, you always had kind of an agent if you were an actor and and then moving forward, there was managers and 360 managers and attorneys. And that's kind of how the landscape was for a really long time. The goal of managing and to be a manager of any client is to help guide their career. So in that sense, Whether it be on the digital side or the traditional side, um, we're still doing that. It's just that a lot of the road is still unpaved now for the deals that we've been creating and the things that our talent is doing.
1: I think some people are a little bit sad because it has all sort of been usurped by the same conglomeration of control for lack of a better word. And so you, you do have very, very traditional paths that everyone is being siphoned into. And so it's sort of no longer a land grab quite like it used to be where it was like, oh my God, we can do anything today. And now, you know, everyone does have their agent, they do have their manager and it is tougher. It's tougher for that sort of human connection and sort of excitement to create something totally new because it's human nature to devolve into what you know and what we know is traditional. And it's in a lot of ways fitting digital into traditional, which is working out. Don't get me wrong. It's not not necessarily a bad thing, but you do you do sort of miss out on the days where we were, everyone was truly discovering on a, a literally minute by minute, hour by hour basis, like, oh my God, this is a new deal we can do. We don't really have that anymore. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's a, it's a really good point with the agencies that have now kind of stepped into oh, this he's world Oh, throwing
1: down well. against the agents. No,
2: no, 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 no. <laughs> All good. But I remember in, in 2012 when I started in this space and so many of my agent friends, we're saying, like, dude, don't go in that world. Don't represent those guys. There's no money there. It's not going to be a thing. Like, stick with traditional, stick with what works. The money is in TV. The money is in feature. Well, I guess it was starting to go away then too, but the money is in traditional stuff. It was kind of like a laughing stock, the digital world. And then fast forward two, three, four years later, And these agencies are now doing what we did in 2012, which is a lot like a land grab, trying to sign all of the the digital talent that they think that they can work with.
0: And can you give some examples? Obviously, there's Big Frame, which is acquired by Awesomeness TV. And we all know that many of the MCNs operate as talent agencies in many respects. But there's also some independent players. So who are some examples of those?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's people kind of all over the place that have started to work with talent. And sometimes they do it individually. And sometimes they've started up their own companies. So there's Edition, there's Select. There's other people who are trying to do it independently. But for the most part, those people all came from the MCN world. Once they figured out how to start working with digital talent, and then they start learning that, hey, I can kind of do this myself and find my own brand deals. And some of those guys are doing really well. And I think it's sometimes a lot harder to do that too. And are the influencer
0: relationships typically exclusive when they're working with a talent manager or not?
2: It should be, to be honest with you.
1: So just again, to make the clear, as a talent manager, a straight deal, yeah, those are those tend to be, that's a 360 deal where you're giving your percentage that you've locked into, from an MCN perspective, that's where it can get a little hazier. Right. But yeah, certainly if you're locked into an MCN, you have your own deal with an MCN. And that in many ways operates a little bit as a manager as well. I'm sure Jordan runs into this quite often being at the collective, which, mm-hmm. which is the MCN hat and the traditional manager hat. But that's why there is can be some confusion as to who represents who. And brands sometimes get very upset. They're like, who's representing this talent? Right. And they don't know because... Everyone, no one's lying. They're all representing the talent, sure. but everyone does have a slightly different interest.
2: Well, I mean, on that note too, one of the biggest things like in the industry for the past two years has been this whole exclusive conversation. And it really did. I mean, the history of it is, is really interesting and it's still shaping right now. But in the beginning, when the MCN started to formulate, it was a land grab of just trying to represent everybody. So you had Maker, Machinima, and even Big Frame and Full Screen. And Collective was doing it a little bit in the beginning. Defy now and and Base79 and all of these companies. And and the entire purpose was to win at the land grab, which meant that you were going to be representing the most talent. You're going to have the highest total of subscribers in your network or viewership in your network. By the time that that phase had kind of ended, people started looking at other ways to make revenue. And that was on the sales side. And this is kind of before the content phase, which I think we're in now. But, you know, when it became about sales, it was individual companies starting to talk to sales teams and they said, well, we want to do a deal with this person in that company. All they had to do was say, well, I can get you in touch with that person. I have a friend who knows that that creator. So things started kind of going haywire like that. They still are, which is where you kind of find a lot of difficulty in the exclusive conversation. If I have a relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have the ability to pitch somebody. But that's kind of how it's been for the last couple of years. And now even traditional talent
0: agencies like CAA, WME, UTA are all getting on the action oh, yeah. representing top tier talent as well. Yeah,
2: they're making a huge push. So what do you
0: think is the natural evolution of this space? Are we going to see consolidation? Are you know, YouTubers and other digital video creators going to continue to work with so many different parties to get the most deals possible?
1: For sure. To the creator, it sort of doesn't matter. The only time it matters is when there are too many cooks in the kitchen and their percentage gets distilled too far. And that's where people start saying, hey, wait a minute, why did I only make 40% out of this deal? Otherwise, it really serves to their advantage for the most part. Like I mentioned before, where it's starting to become an issue is where the brands are getting very frustrated because either the cost of working with the influencer is just so astronomical or they don't know who to speak with, right? Three different entities say, well, I can get you the deal with so and so. It's a similar deal. And no one really knows who to make the deal with. So there is some frustration there, but generally speaking for the talent, right? I mean, the more people who have fishing for you, presumably for the most part, it's going to work out in your favor. Again, there are caveats to that, but I think a lot of these management companies are doing a pretty great job. You know, Jordan mentioned a bunch of them. There are other independent ones, you know, Sarah Weichel and Naomi Lennon. And, you know, there are all of these individuals and companies doing really good job trying to find businesses for the talent. And I think that that's the really encouraging thing is really, and that's where there's still some discovery to be made. How do you take someone who has a very specific skill set and build a brand around them? And that's a really exciting thing for a lot of people. And that's where there's still room for discovery and development where, you know, you have a kid who's a vlogger and you say, all right, well, how, how can I give this person whether they're 17 or 27, how can I give this person a career? And maybe that's books and maybe that's brand deals and maybe that's a TV show or a hosting gig or whatever that might be. But having a manager can help with that. And that's where I think the value add is.
2: Yeah, I think also like part of the evolution as we continue and, and we've already started to see it and I didn't necessarily agree with it in the beginning because everyone was trying to scale and there was a lot of revenue there. A lot of people were making a ton of money on AdSense and just taking a percentage of it. And there was other you know factors that they brought into the game that justified the percentage being taken. But now if you look at the trend, it's it's kind of anti-scale. I mean, the people who are now moving forward with management have less and less clients And I think the company I'm working for now, Collective, kind of always had that mentality. They always had a managerial sense that they come from a managerial background, but that was kind of what it was. It was, let's find the best people who can create the best content, who we can do the most deals with and work with just those guys and not really open up the gates. I think that, you know, as we get agencies involved in here, they can absolutely help out. They have huge relationships and we have some of those digital relationships too now that we can kind of coexist.
0: So how did each of you find your way into the talent management digital media space?
1: I was really fortunate to, at the time, I knew the CMO over the first CMO of Awesomeness CD, Margaret Laney. And she asked me to come in and help facilitate some smaller work that they that they needed done. And I was doing freelance and I thought, this is great. Why not learn about the digital space, see what, see what's going on there? And they just continued to ask me to do more. And finally I said, you know, I'm here all the time. Might as well take the offer, the full-time offer. And it was right when the network was being created and and there was a lot going on. And so it was a way to step up and help build the talent department for the network. And uh, it was great. Working for the company was terrific and what an incredible entree into digital. I'll forever be grateful for the opportunity because sounds like I'm really pitching hard on my, uh, my old company, but <laughs> I am forever grateful for that opportunity. It, it really has set me up so nicely and, and I'm so appreciative.
2: Mine was kind of like a lot of people I think in our space kind of like stumbled into it. You know, I initially was really into traditional. So The goal when I came to LA was to be a talent agent for wit. It wasn't talent. I I wanted to sell movie scripts. That is a really tough job. (laughs) And those guys are are working 24-7. And I really actually like, I still love it. I I love reading scripts and having the ability to kind of work on the creative. I didn't realize the difference at the time between agent and manager. So as I started going through the agency and and into the agent training program, I'm kind of thinking to myself, Well, this is not creative at all. You're kind of covering studios and you're selling them what they want and and what they already need. And if it's not you, they're going to find somebody else who can do it. The first opportunity I had that really interested me after the agencies was a company called Fullscreen, which had just been starting out. And I had heard of it. And obviously, I had watched YouTube before. And I, I was a pretty big fan of some YouTubers who I found out that they worked with. I knew about Maker and Machinima at the time. Those were kind of the only two MCNs. I didn't really even know what an MCN was at the time, but they said that I had the opportunity to work with talent and kind of help build their careers. And that's kind of the only pitch I needed. So I went in and I met with Phil Ranta, who is now the COO at Collective Digital Studio. We met for you know twenty minutes, had a great conversation. I was the only guy in the office wearing a suit. I started the next Monday as a partner manager, which is what they called you know that back then. And what um, happened to the suit? The suit was burned. I was say, it
1: has holes yeah. in it. Super yeah. dusty.
2: I burned it that night, and I never looked back. I have not worn a suit since. That's no. a lie. I've, I've worn I was a suit. Say, for-
1: I wouldn't wear that with <laughs> a bride. <laughs> <laughs> Suits are great.
2: Suits are great. Suits that are great. Are great. Yeah. But I I started that Monday, never wore a suit to work again, but then, you know, kind of really worked on building out the network side of things, which was really for the first two years, not necessarily involved in actual Talent management. It was more so building the network and, and finding scalable ways to sign more people to get to that giant number that I was talking about. And in between, creating like some amazing we relationships. Had,
1: we had bigger numbers. Just throw it just out there. Awesome. Uh, was the no first.
2: BTO. I no think BTO. they were the first team to open um, to open the
1: network. Like the
2: network wide, they like literally just opened the gates, <laughs> and you were able to sign up. You know, via. You don't like have to not guess. Talking I to am anyone. here. I can <laughs> confirm.
1: You, you don't have to guess. Yes. It was the first network to open it up and to say to the world and especially the teen demographic to say, you know, we come join our community. They were the first to do it and boy did people join. It was it was <laughs>
2: incredible. I mean, I think the number, I don't remember, maybe you remember. It went from like 20,000 to like 70,000 in like 2 months or something, 3 months. If you
1: remember, but I'm going to leave that
2: to be a secret. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it was insane. I mean, I remember we were sitting over at Fullscreen and we're trying to find the most scalable ways to grow our network. And we see that and we're just like, uh-oh. You know, because <laughs> we used to have guidelines. I mean, when I started, it was, we, we wanted... It was about some sort of quality. And I'm not saying that anyone Whoa, in that network is not slow quality. Your
1: roll, but buddy.
2: the numbers that we looked for, you know, you had to have a certain threshold. So this isn't even talking about the video quality, but the numbers, we wanted to see a certain sub number of views per month.
1: It's just a different business model.
2: Right. Which, by the way, right. completely changed to Awesomeness's business model within three months. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, they
0: did that. Not to put words in yeah. your mouth, but Awesomeness has evolved as a kind of a fan club or community of yeah. creators. And then building a next generation studio whereas it it's full screen for a long time known as the technology empowered MCN yeah. was working with talent, was working with creators to help grow an audience mm-hmm. uh, and more of, I guess, a traditional MCN play that probably awesomeness is thought of as.
2: Sure. I think that's true. I mean, it was really built on technology. That was like the value prop, you know, besides all of the other companies who were out there. So... Ours After, was, we, we had
1: moments where we were like, oh my god, we're behind on the technology yeah. oh no what are we gonna do
2: I, I mean that was literally that was, that was the, that was the go-to pitch I mean and it was it was really great and I, th- I still think it's great. I mean I, I look at that stuff and they had the dashboard and you know at the time now there's about 45 50 companies who are doing you know branded integrations even if you're not you know part of them all they need is your email which is another large part of the exclusivity conversation. But Fullscreen was the first one to integrate that system into the dashboard. So if you wanted to do a marketing campaign or a branded integration, that literally was our number one pitch. It was like, hey, check out We called it the gorilla marketing. So we'd say, if you want a branded opportunity, you got to be with us. And it worked. It was a really good pitch. And then about 100,000 other people did that. Which made it very competitive, especially today. So how
0: does the landscape look today? Cause you know, we have all the agents and talent managers that we already talked about, but there's influencer marketing agencies. There are MCNs going out to brands and trying to bring business in. How does that continue to evolve?
1: I mean, it's more and more competitive with every day because I think everyone realizes how much money is truly at play. And you see every year ad week or another organization comes out and says another 10% of TV money is, you know, TV marketing money is going into digital. There's such, such a large number of bills being thrown at digital these days that everyone recognizes how much there is to gain for the influencers, for sure, but obviously for the companies around it. So you do have more, you have these smaller companies starting to grow. The I will say you are at a distinct disadvantage if you don't have connection to the talent. And I know that seems like an obvious statement, but you so often you hear of people who are, oh, I'm going to get into this this side of the business. I'm like, how? If you cannot reach the talent, you are going to be stymied at every, at every corner. And so that's really where the MCMs and the talent managers have such a leg up because they have these very close relationships, be it from a content development standpoint, from a, a career standpoint, and that's really where you will succeed or not. So it's, it's really the access that, that is, is required. And then the working relationships, because if you are not the manager and you are not the agent and you are not the MCN, you are going to have to work with at least one, if not all of those people to get whatever deal done. There are more people trying, yeah. but the key comes back to the who has access to the talent.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about the different revenue streams, because you've touched on this now a couple of times. And maybe, Jordan, if you want to jump in, there are certainly video revenue streams from advertising. So AVOD revenues, subscription revenues, book deals, other kind of additional incremental revenue streams like e-commerce or affiliate marketing. How do you guys think about those buckets of revenue for a creator?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to think about every, every opportunity. Because the industry was so insanely competitive, some of the MCNs started to have to say, no, please sign with us. We'll give you a signing bonus or no, please sign with us. We guarantee we will make you this amount of money and we will do this project for you and we'll fly you to beauty con and all of this kind of stuff. So it got super, super competitive. And now I completely forget your question, what you had asked. Revenue streams. What are
0: the different buckets? That's awesome. It's a great recap.
2: So the revenue streams, I, I like to think the first one that started was AdSense, right? And that's not just what I think that is actually the only thing that was a revenue stream in the beginning when people were starting on YouTube. So AdSense, to be honest with you, I still think is big. I mean, people. We're talking about the end of AdSense for the past three or four years. We haven't seen it. Um, you
0: makes almost a million dollars a month from AdSense alone
2: which is an astronomical number. And I mean, some of the people that I work with too, I look at how much money they're making on, on ad revenue. And you it's, cry. It's, I, you I shed I some tears.
1: I cry. You're on the
2: wrong side of the table. I, mean, I know. I know. And that's not just because of the ad revenue. That's just because I cry myself to sleep.
1: Everyone has their thing.
2: <laughs> <But there's, laughs> now there's other buckets. And, and we move really into the second one, which is branded integrations, which I've been talking about. But that's when a company, any company wants to engage a talent to talk about either their brand or specific product that they're selling. Many times these integrations are now coming through advertising agencies, which brands work with. So they'll come to us and say, hey, we have this package and we want it to go to three, four, five, ten 10 of your creators that you work with. And that is a really, really big revenue stream now. All of the money that used to go to billboards or TV or radio commercials is coming to digital. And it's not it's not all going to be there, but it is a large percentage of everybody's marketing budget now. And if you're not in the digital marketing place, you're really missing out. There's so much more detailed analytics for all of these people that can see exactly who's looking at their product, exactly who's clicking on the links to go to their website. And you can really target a demographic for them. So... That's probably the second bucket. A third bucket is content, either distributing content or selling new content. There's a fourth bucket, which is merchandise. And you can sell t-shirts and you can sell hats and bracelets. And I could probably continue going. I think those are, you know, the four main ones that we consistently look at.
0: So just to recap, advertising revenues, Mm -hmm. brand deals, content, whether it's production or syndication Mm -hmm. and merchandise. And merchandise, yeah. But there's um, the
1: additional now where you, that bleeds more into traditional, which is you have the book deals and you have the potential TV opportunities and other hosting gigs. And some yeah. people are doing, you know, they'll host red carpets, for instance. So you're the, I would say, I guess the fifth bucket would be the blending of the digital and traditional worlds where people are trying to cross over more and more. Again, whether it's books or TV or hosting or any other such opportunity, that's now becoming Not just important, really the goal of a lot of the talent is to cross over. And so that bucket is going to get, hopefully, for them bigger. Yeah.
0: So before we forget, I wanted to ask you guys if one of you would represent my channel. I have six subscribers. Mm -hmm. So what do you think in terms of like a hosting gig?
1: What are my options? You are doing, you have such a good brand with this one. I just wouldn't want you to deviate your attention. Mm -hmm. That would be my concern. This is a lot to take on. And I really think we've got to just nail this one. And then... Then you know, sky's, sky's limit. the limit. Sky's
2: right. truly, truly the limit. So we're really, let's talk signing bonuses. <laughs> right. I think like that that minutes. before we talk about signing bonuses, we we should talk about what your content is gonna be.
1: If because we're this, already we're in trouble. We're <laughs> in <it. laughs>
2: We're already giving you a huge minimum guarantee, so I don't I don't know if we should be talking about signing bonuses yet. <laughs> but no, I mean that's that is actually a conversation that we have a lot. You know, now that I'm working with, I moved over and I'm working with a, a much smaller roster, but there's still so many people that I talk to that are looking for representation on YouTube. That conversation actually does happen a lot, and it's kind of like, well, here's the things I think you should work on, and then let's revisit this in in ten years, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they'll <welcome laughs> come back. back. Yeah, there we go. So can you two share some success stories about working with creators and brands in this influencer marketing space? Yeah,
1: for sure. The short I mean, yes, certainly. I think one thing that I will note in terms of the space, right, is I remember when we first were doing some brand deals and it was crazy. People would get $100 for a tweet and we were blown away. Just $100, right? And we would, what? That's 140 characters, $100. That's crazy. And then a couple months later, it became like, wow, it's $300 for this tweet. That's nuts. And then, you know, a few months after that, it was $1,000 for a tweet. Now, of course, the, you're talking about the high, the highest echelon of talent. You're not talking about someone with 100 followers. Uh, you're talking with, about someone who has hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million. But I think you actually have to give credit to the industry as a whole for pushing the market. And that's where I say particularly hats off to the talent managers uh, you. are welcome. The ones who specifically, not at the MCNs, but in, in the really independent ones, oh. who, sorry, that wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to pull back on you. No, but uh, I say, it because they're really the ones who who push the market. They're and really, validated this way, absolutely. Right? They're really the ones who said, no, my talent is worth more. Let's get them more. And so everyone had to follow suit. And the reason I mentioned that as a macro example is because it, it does help, I think, highlight a, the speed with which the marketplace grew and why it grew so quickly. And it's because there was no precedent for it before. And you had managers now saying, well, A, I want my talent again get but B, they want to get it, right? So the market was pushed so quickly. I mean, in a year you went from, again, you know, a hundred dollar tweet to a thousand dollar tweet for the same thing, same company even would have to pay that much more. You'd see videos where it was so exciting if we can get someone $500 or $1,000 for a video. That was crazy, right? Well, now, you know, that kid won't get out of bed for anything less than twenty grand. Yeah. So it's moved so rapidly in less than two years. And it's really great for the creators. It's not so great for the brands. That's the marketplace. And everyone always asks, when is the bubble going to burst? And no one seems to know because everyone keeps saying, it's got to burst within six months. Six months from now, forget it. And what do you think, are still, long
0: or short on the management digital marketing game?
1: I don't think it can balloon too much more because the ROI is not always there. And brands are starting to get a lot savvier in terms of the analytics. It's all about right.
0: engagement and you know,
1: results. And they are much smarter about it now than they were a year, year and a half ago, or obviously beyond that. So... In terms of the the great success stories, I mean, I'm sure Jordan and I can talk all about how we negotiated and you know we got we got someone extra money, but really the hat tip goes to the industry at large and to the representatives of the creators for really pushing it and really at this point pushing it as far as it could possibly go because everyone is making a lot of money and I mean, it's fantastic for them and hopefully the brands are, are seeing the return and they continue to work with the creators who get them that return. And that's where their value is highest.
2: Jordan, any specific? Yeah, you're really proud of? I think you know some some of the things that even at my company now that I'm I'm just so impressed with are some of the things where they've narrowed down and really worked with some specific creators. So I look at a channel like Cyanide and Happiness, who is getting multiple millions of views per video sometimes, and especially per month and per week. And this is a channel who's you know doing all right before they join CDS and they're making, you know, some money and they, they have enough to support themselves. But they joined CDS, and and now I look at all the things that they've done, and they have a show coming out, which was sincerely pitched, you know, on their behalf from some amazing people at CDS. They have a game coming out, which is going to be branded just for them, which is going to be really really exciting. They've gotten multiple integrations, which are humongous, and they're a multi million dollar company now. And so I look at that, and I think that's kind of the exciting part, and that's where I want to take a lot of the guys that I work with and I think the the huge integrations are great and it's exciting to close a big deal or to have a sales representative close a big deal for one of our clients And as we move forward, we're going to see how the brands want to work with talent. And it is going to be about the engagement rate and the actual clicks and and buys that they're getting. It's not just going to be based on you know how many subscribers that you have. It's already moved far, far away from that. But views per video is really important, but now especially engagement. So closing a giant deal is great, but the stuff that I like to see is is stuff that actually moves the career. So creating a television show, creating a movie, creating your own game, creating your own clothing line, a record, that kind of stuff that we've seen has been really, really exciting. So I think on the content side, like creating shows, stuff that can start with any creator and they say, Hey, I want to make this. And the ability for people in our industry to kind of like get behind it and say, okay, I want to do that. And now have so many opportunities to sell to different buyers, especially because the landscape is really rich right now with people who are buying digital content. That part is the where I find the most excitement and the biggest wins.
0: So there's kind of a mixed bag of... Success stories and then maybe some near misses. I mean, Bethany Moda, Michelle Fawn done tremendously well. Bethany has a line of clothes in Aeropostale, and uh, Michelle Fawn has launched her businesses and, and now an MCN of her own within them all. But then there, you know, people look at the launch of Grace Helbig's TV show and she didn't get, you know, great time slot and, and didn't get the ratings or reviews that people expected. What do you think of these new media or you know digital talents trying to cross over and do things in the traditional entertainment world?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's going back to what Jackie said before and like the difference between traditional and and maybe the, the bubble bursting here. I think we still have a lot to learn about how the entire community of people who are consuming media is going to want to consume media. So slapping a show on E! with Grace Helbig didn't necessarily work because it didn't feel authentic and it felt a little odd, although I think the show was actually even better than people gave it credit for. I thought it was was pretty funny.
1: But I think it speaks to you, and I don't mean to come, so if I'm not addressing what you're going to say, by all means. But it was sort of like, it seemed, at least it felt, because Grace is extremely talented. Super talented. She's awesome. Everyone loves her, right? I mean not just the YouTube community, but like people in general, right? She's just a lovely person, but it was sort of felt like a digital show on television and her audience can get her digitally online. So putting that on TV, essentially putting a digital format on TV doesn't really work. Likewise, putting TV formats on YouTube tends not to work. So the industry, to Jordan's point, has yet to sort of figure out what that beautiful mix is that keeps... All parties sort of happy and interested in what's going on, whether it's, you know, and obviously we have YouTube Red and they're going to be, they have all the originals and, you know, so we're going to see if they can figure it out. But I think at least what happened there and also... You know, it is. It's a lot of people question. Did E support it as much? You know, so I think that that's. that's but now important. there seem to be
0: more options, right? In addition to Netflix and Hulu, there's you know, Watchable, Vessel, Go90, full screen launching its own OTT platform and paying for content like that, wanting original digital productions for their audiences. Yeah,
2: I think a lot. A lot of people are trying to be that mini Netflix, right, for the younger demographic. And I, I think there will probably ultimately be a couple of winners in there, which is going to be a great opportunity to sell more content continue the digital landscape beyond youtube for a way for people to actually have that hashtag relatable feeling with their creators because i think that that's what this is all about it's also if you look at the demo for e and who's watching e versus who's watching youtube it's extremely different
1: you also have different experiences right you have the lean back versus you know forward experience right i mean you're talking about a confluence of things that did or did not happen with that show in particular. And I think it's a you know obviously a great case study to have, but I certainly think it's unfair to pin it on her. I agree. And no, I think it's helpful to look at it in context.
0: Have... And there's other great successes and other things that yeah. didn't work for other reasons like that. For sure. Yeah. What are some of the challenges of working with talent or working
2: in talent management? Well, I think you know, one one of the ultimate issues, it might seem like the easy answer, but it's it's personalities. And learning how to deal with people. And this is stuff that, you know, many of us didn't come to LA to deal with. And it was, you know, a lot of it still is. It's the business savvy and, and kind of being an entrepreneur and, and working really hard. But at the end of the day, you're also working with people. So we're dealing with brands and we're dealing with buyers and agencies that all want something and they want to do their job really, really well. And then on the other side, we're dealing with talent who all thinks that they're great and and a lot of them are. And sometimes it's hard to keep, you know, reality in check, especially with all of the creators now. But it's it's kind of a game of learning how to deal with personalities. And if you're not good at that, you're not going to be in this space for long because there's a lot of different personalities and you are constantly in communication with people. I mean, every single day is just constant communication. It's just kind of never, never ending. So you know the difficulty is is kind of keeping up with the day to day being able to be as communicative as possible as i'm sitting here i'm getting you know emails and texts of people who are literally waiting for my answer you know right now on a few things so i think for me it's that's kind of the most difficult part and the rest is fun you know i find it i find the challenges of learning the landscape to be the good part
1: i might add in addition to personalities. You are also talking about their respective families. You do have parents who are heavily involved because YouTube world tends to be younger. You have parents, you have siblings, you have a lot of people, you know, we've talked a lot about the cooks in the kitchen, the different agents and, and managers, but what we haven't talked about are the parents and the brothers and the sisters and the cousins and everyone else's opinion that also comes into play. And most parents are actually really lovely, but there are some, There are some that are a challenge, usually coming from a really good place, right? Usually coming from a place of trying to look out for their child and ultimately not knowing the business and doing the best they can when they don't come from entertainment at all. But that I found also is interesting when you're, it's not just juggling the kid who, by the way, might not live with the parent anymore. So the child might live in Los Angeles the parent might live in Timbuktu, for all you know, wherever. And the parent is upset because they don't know exactly what's going on with the child, and the child only tells them something. So you are often really playing an interesting game of tennis thrones. Or, oh. or, or or thrones, depending upon. Yeah, no, we can. It could be either one: tennis, thrones. Winter whatever is, it
2: is. So Winter is always coming, coming. <laughs> every day. Always every day, but that's. I mean, that's a lot of it too. Is like the technology. I mean, we have so many things at our fingertips now that has made life so much easier and so much easier to communicate. But at the same time, it's also kind of a double-edged sword because it's also the part that makes things so stressful. People are expecting answers immediately on stuff. I mean, from any integration that we're doing or content that you need now, I mean, it is an immediate kind of society now. So technology is something that's become kind of a burden a little bit. You can't turn off. You are always plugged in. You don't have that opportunity like in in the social network where, what was Eduardo? What was his friend's name? Where he came in and he picked the laptop up and he goes, boom, are you plugged in now? We don't have that moment. And I've always wanted that moment.
1: That was a movie, Jordan. Right. That was
0: a movie. <laughs> right. So Jordan, what are some of the key differences between the work that you did at Fullscreen and now what you're focused on at CDS?
2: Yeah, well, when I was at Fullscreen, it was so much about... Kind of growing the network, find scalable solutions, which was like my favorite word over there. We even had synergies. a yeah, yeah synergies. We had a band that we created where I played keyboard, and we called it the Scalable Solutions. Oh, I like um, it. it was great. Well, we only had one, oh, okay. um, and we we were asked to never perform again. Can you so bring it back, and can you maybe play guitar? I don't think so. I, have I would guitar. like the guitar. I have wow. played guitar. That does. It's I don't. know a good, know where that it's is. A good Jackie, time. Were you in the band LMFAO at some
1: point? I mean, I might have been. Might have had a wig. Okay. Might have been. I was actually a, a fangirl.
2: I, I actually followed that band around when she was with them. There yeah. we go. So when it was at full screen, it was it was really scalable. It was kind of learning all of those buckets that we were talking about, like the best ways to make money. Was it AdSense, content, branded integrations or, or merch or third-party ancillary revenue? And so I was kind of trying to figure it all out. But all of a sudden, we had this huge talent come in. And at some point, you know, we had to start working with those guys in a different scale. We called that, you know, the talent management group from that group, which I was leading for a a little while over there to what I'm doing now is very similar. The whole network full screen is a lot bigger. There's about 90, 95,000 YouTube channels that they have in there. What I did towards the end of my time was really zero in on, on the top talent. And now over at the collective, that's also what I'm doing. I want to work with talent who, if I always say this, but it's, probably not realistic, but if YouTube died today, that they could all still have careers. And those are the guys I want to work on. That's kind of, you know, over here at my my current position, it's really about finding, you know, ways to build businesses versus just work with YouTubers. And
0: Jackie, what prompted you to leave Awesomeness TV and now go on to start Pinnacle?
1: Awesomeness was a really sort of titular experience for me. And it was sort of time at that point I had really sort of learned and grown as much as I was going to in that position. And I have my own aspirations, including my own YouTube channel, which thank you for plugging that at the beginning. Of course. Newsy news for what it's worth. And I really wanted the opportunity, having learned everything that I did, I really wanted the opportunity to go out and, and figure it out for myself. And so I ended up working, I ended up sort of aging up what I did for a little bit, and I worked at a news and politics channel as an executive news director. I come from a political background, so I wanted to have some of that. And then, most recently, I've started doing consulting, and I started Pinnacle, which is the idea is to really be a hub and facilitate communication. When I left Austinus, I had drinks scheduled for two and a half months straight.
2: Hey, I was in those. He was. I was in, in one of those. He was a I part was of that. So- oh, this, this wow! Was not,
1: no, it is inefficient, fattening, uh, impoverishing. Tiring. It is all of those. Things. I'm still going. While while we go to the
0: drinks every week. Yes, I'm just over there.
1: Uh, and Jordan, it was terrific. It was the See, best drinks the best I've best ever drinks. had in my life. We ran into talent actually at that yes. I forgot about that. I realized all I, had, I knew all these wonderful people, and a lot of them didn't know one another. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to allow everyone to meet. And it was, it's been really well received and now I'm, I'm growing it further. And, you know, I hope that whoever's listening, I'm going to be accepting sponsorships for dinner so people can really come together and then, you know, other people can benefit from it, including brands or companies that are really trying to grow and learn from the expertise that all of these wonderful people have. So that was really the the impetus for starting it and creating it. And, and hopefully it can grow and be a font of information and place, people send me job opportunities all the time. So I send those out, but it really is the idea is to establish deeper connections that are not just sort of the cursory conversation that you often have. Jordan, you and I had very deep drinks conversations, but I think oftentimes you you really just, you know, it's a one hour experience and then you move on with your life and you don't really ever follow up too much. And the hope is that this will allow people to really communicate and to, to grow, whether it's friendships, businesses, et cetera. And People have gotten jobs from it. Businesses have has business happened. It's been really cool. One thing I did want to mention, unrelated to this, but to go back on the subject of of the divide between sort of the MCNs and the management companies, I, I got a first row seat to that at Awesomeness because uh, they did buy Big Frame, and I think they've done a really they've done a really nice job of separating the two. Uh, and so the talent really is able to recognize that Big Frame puts their interests first. Awesomeness. Provides opportunity, and I bring that up because it was in reference to a conversation of what what opportunities and what sort of whether it's brands or or movies. And I think in my experience, it was about helping the talent, funneling the talent into opportunities that were taking place. And Awesomeness is mostly focused on content, and so that was a big opportunity that was there. And I felt I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention that 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 was one of the big opportunities because Awesomeness creates a lot of TV and film projects. That was a benefit to being part of the network, as you could funnel. But one final thing, again, one final non sequitur is my hope is for all these MCNs to not just focus on the top tier, because an enormous there's an enormous amount of potential and money to be made from the mid tier talent. And I don't say that in a bad way. I say that in a really a way that's one of admiration. These are kids that are going to be the next top tier talent. And so often they fall through the cracks because they're not the creme de la creme yet. And they the have life cycles, exactly. In
0: today's, you know, the you guys c- probably remember when, you know, Smosh was the biggest YouTube channel, mm-hmm. or before that, you know, when Mystery Retirement was huge, or mm-hmm. all of these, these names that were recognized that were some of the largest channels on YouTube.
1: Yeah. And not only is it that they cycle through, but it's that also they often have really devoted fan bases, sometimes far more devoted than the larger channels because the larger channels have often been around longer and they're. Subscriber numbers are the same, but their viewership has dropped. And the talent at 500,000 may have a more rabid fan base than a talent at 1.5 or even 2 million. And it's don't forget the, that person at 500 because that talent, kid or adult, is going to be worth a lot.
0: That's a great point. So if you were building a business in the online video space today, what would you do? Whoa,
2: I would do so, so many things. Questions. I would do so many things. First, I would need a lot of money. So I would I would just go out and ask all of my friends for money, and then I would have to start thinking after that. But the first step would be money. first step is get the money. That would that would be the first thing. I think you know right now it's kind of funny if you look at the entire scale of the industry right now. One of the things that 2016 is going to be is selling content and people creating platforms for content and creating that experience that we were talking about of whatever it's going to be, whether it be on your mobile or tablet or however you're consuming media. So. Right now, that's like the the hottest thing, right? All of these guys that you were talking about go 90 and full screen and Vessel still kind of doing their thing and Comcast and and Lionsgate might have their own thing and Spotify. I mean, it it could go on. NBC. NBC. We can go on. Let's let's go on, guys. Um, There's going to be so many things like that. So I, I say that because, you know, starting a company now to create content that sells to those guys obviously could be a really good idea. And a lot of people are doing that but maybe think outside of the box too and see what else is out there. I mean, I'm so impressed with what Snapchat has done over the past two years. I mean, it's incredible. And now they're going to be producing original content and who's to say that they're not going to be here in in 15 years, you know, bigger than Netflix or something. So I don't know. I mean, I I think there's also the ability to work with top talent or mid-tier talent and find other ways to help push them along. I'll start with the money.
1: Money always helps, <laughs> uh, and I can say that as someone trying to build builds in the right, digital space. Yeah. But one place that obviously Zucker- Mark Zuckerberg and Oculus Rift and VR so much attention is turning to 360, and mm. what are these more immersive opportunities? And I think that that if I were starting a company, honestly, I think you're actually we're a little too late on the VR front because that ship is taken off. The first headsets are coming to market. And I would like to amend next... my answer. <laughs>
2: okay. I, I would do that.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: do everything that I said except for do jets. Yes, right. exactly.
1: I actually think everyone has to look. It's not just for the immersive experiences uh, that VR is, is coming up with, but then it's beyond VR and into robotics and into even more of a tech perspective because the confluence of tech and entertainment, I think is going to become more and more acute. As time goes on, it's not to say that the personal touch and an influencer that will always be around that has been around since the beginning of time, whether they were kings and queens or, you know, in ancient Egypt or, you know, it doesn't matter. We've always had sort of hierarchies of people. I don't say that in a bad way, I say that in a good way, but tech and entertainment and content, I really think are going to continue to combine. And so I would look, I would look actually to VR and then beyond it to see what is going to be the next experience that is tactile and advanced.
2: I heard about a, a haunted house in New York city where you put on Oculus or, or whatever it is to give you the 360 experience and you walk in and like you see vampires coming at you, but they still have like air blowing at you and they'll have stuff touching your arms and you have to That's walk around. Kind of I mean, I think I, on that note, that is kind of the next level of experiential content that people are going to be making. So, you know, I I also remember when they came out with Smell TV, though. Do you remember that? Or maybe it was like it actually never came out when we were talking about it. Like, that's a terrible idea. Like, I don't care. I don't want to
1: smell. I don't want to smell.
2: But, like, if you get to actually experience a world, then that's the difference. So if you imagine, like, Avatar, the movie, and and being in Finally,
1: we're getting the next couple of Avatar movies. Thank God. it's been a long time i'm very excited for them but More if
2: you could television. imagine like being in you know imagine you were flying on one of the birds or whatever those things were called that's like the next level of entertainment especially, flying on birds, no. flying on birds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean,
0: I was just about to ask about trends but you know jordan covered off on it Fine. wait what did you say no but i think you're right like, especially in today's environment where the major studios live and die by their franchises right, right. and then the immersive experiences and that type of technology the best fit is with a franchise where you can get additional mileage out of some existing IP. We're seeing MCNs and also other digital players embracing that idea, trying to build original content that can stand on its own. Yeah,
2: Collective is is doing it as well with a project called Maximum Ride, which is going to be Jenna Marbles executive producing, but it's going to be a lot like that franchise model. Which a lot
1: of people are not actually that thrilled about for what it's worth. People are, there's a lot of, yes, the studios rely on these tentpole events and communities that are created, but you have a lot, I mean, you saw with Star Wars, even George Lucas came out and he said, well, that's, you know, essentially said it's ridiculous that they relied on all of the tropes of the original movies that I made. And he was, he was defending, you know, parts one, two, and three that he made saying, I didn't, I purposefully created new worlds and created, new characters to move So I can sell more
0: merchandise. Well, yes. So I can make more money for my franchise. Yes,
1: although arguably they made so much. Uh, J.J. Abrams is a genius. But I bring up the idea because I, I think despite Temple and despite all of these massive properties that are amazing and people really, who cares, right? If people like it, people like it. But the human relationship, I do believe there is always going to be room for that. And so there will always be room for, you know, the breakout indie comedy or, or indie drama. Let's hope so,
0: so that we don't have to completely lament the death of the art form.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think people, for no, no other reason than the artists, will keep it alive. Uh, maybe not the business people. I agree. Yes. I mean, I think
2: franchises are tough. I mean, I'm. it's really hard to see remake after remake or, or just another movie. Unless it's The Fast and Of course, of course. Probably the greatest franchise of all time. And
1: You laugh, but that thing just rolls in the money. So depending on how you look at it. No,
2: it actually, seriously, I I mean, I do love that franchise. But some of the stuff that even when I was in the agency world, I got really upset with. I mean, I remember, I think like 21 Jump Street had just come out. And the next two weeks, like four cop movies were sold. Because it was like, oh, cops are in right now. It's hot. It's just like, no, it's because it's Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Like, that's why that's sold. Um you were still working on vampire
0: movies at the time, right?
2: Exactly okay. I had just I had been trying to sell three of those
1: <laughs> people are still trying to sell those I'm right. like, guys
2: maybe if it was a cop vampire movie vampires are so hot right now there we go they're so hot right now uh, we should we should sit here after and try to <laughs> we'll with come come up up some, some vampire movie there we go but yeah no, I'm back to like the original stuff though it is when you have the ability to create original pieces that really, attract an audience because of what you've created, that speaks volumes to me and I think is much more important. And hopefully, you know, the industry will kind of move with that. Although it doesn't seem to be. People are really loving these franchises.
1: That's actually a place though where digital has the opportunity to really provide the personal experience because people are so used to the intimacy of digital. I'm sure there will be tentpole digital properties anyway. I mean, you already have that with the Fine Brothers, right? As an example. But I think digital actually could help save, you know, the art, that piece of the art form a little bit, because so many people are so connected to the influencer or to this very specific brand that's involved. And that that may provide an outlet for feeling those emotions, right? I mean, YouTube is the place to come out these days. You don't get more intimate than that in a lot of ways. And so I think that's an example of where if the space wanted to take on more of an art form, which it definitely is there's an avenue for that. And then there's tons of properties and book deals and movies that can be made from there. So
0: there we go.
2: Just call Jordan.
1: That's right. I got you. I'll as long, as, long as it's Jordan vampire. Call and then he'll call me and ask me. He'll ask wait, me is this, yeah. is this
2: what I do? Only, only if it's I'm a vampire movie.
1: Okay. I'm,
2: I'm only selling vampire movies.
0: So we got a little bit of foreshadowing of the answer to this question, but closing thoughts, what three predictions do you two have for what's coming next?
2: Well, I think, you know, we kind of touched on them a lot. You know, for the, Content that people are buying now for platforms, I think in the next couple of years, it is going to be a a continuing unbundle of, you know, cable networks and traditional TV. People are going to continue to consume media through mobile and tablets, and we're all going to find new ways to work with marketers who want to reach these people or their specific demographic. I think the VR world is going to absolutely take off as we've already seen. Maybe within a year or two years from now, there might be movie theaters that are actual virtual reality where you walk in and have to wear an Oculus and everything is around you. But for the most part, I think we're going to continue to make some really great content also, uh, whether it be franchises or original series. And I think that the youth is going to kind of construct how the rest of us are starting to work in this world now. And that's something I didn't get when I was younger, but it really is. I mean, it is the kids who are driving the way that this world is going to look, especially in digital technology.
1: Gen Z operates really differently from Gen Y as well. And so they're, whereas Gen Y is very much about sharing Gen Z is actually a lot more private. There was a study done at Austin as it was it was fascinating to sort of see because Gen Z is really ultimately awesome this is demographic which are 12 to you know essentially 16 right now. It's really enlightening to see how how kids how they look at things, right? So if I recall correctly, they're looking about at buying houses whereas millennials and and Gen Y are more about renting and planning for their life or saving versus not. And to the point about sort of youth Pushing our culture. I I think it always has, right? You know, you always, if you look at any movement that's ever happened, a lot of times it's come from the youth and they're the ones that have pushed it. It's the reason technology is so pervasive. It's because the first and earliest adopters are always the young people. We now sound really old. We're not old for what it's worth,
2: but I just realized I was old recently.
1: (laughs) I'm not old, so you look at... No, I'm just
2: kidding. I I hope
1: just not, feel I'm old. not kidding. I'm I not feel kidding. Old. I'm not old. I can't old. walk
2: anymore. I wake up groggy. i like, ah. Oh.
1: I just jump out of bed. Fresh as the I day you I, I
0: bet you do. I you yeah.
2: <laughs> I feel like you wake up and you just stretch <laughs> and go,
1: I feel great.
2: Another podcast today. That's I'm right. I'm going to
1: put that <laughs> in my pocket and definitely remember you said yeah. that and I appreciate it. I'm glad, that, I'm glad I give that off. In terms of young people sort of driving the train, Absolutely. They always have. I think that will that will have, will certainly continue. In terms of the future, digital specific, you're gonna see these influencers more and more becoming their own brands. So they're more and more becoming business people, having their own mini empires. Some will have larger empires than others. All will all of the bigger names will happen, right? The most obvious is Michelle Fahn. What she has created is breathtaking. Everyone, Bethany Moda as well. I mean everyone is, they're the model uh, for what you can do and what you can create and how you can set yourself up for really the rest of your life. You know, some talent will do brand deals for the next 10 years of their lives. Other talent will have, you know, 10 different arms, right? And and some of that will depend on what their content is, what their specialty is. But on the digital front, I think that's what you're going to really see is you're going to see a, a sort of an explosion of of different mini brands, different mini empires, heralded by a talent. One, Conor Franta, right? He has his own music label now. Um, He's represented by Andrew Graham over at Big Frame. And, you know, they're doing a great job and constantly those albums are doing well and selling. Those are just, I think, more examples of, of success stories where carving a niche out in this, again, this sort of beautiful little crossover between traditional and digital. In terms of, you know, the space at large, yeah, VR is... VR is here. It's no You know, it's like we all say YouTube is here now. YouTube is old. VR is new. Uh, the new headsets are being, I think, shipped within a month. So it's going to become more and more. I think that's going to be the next race: is who can figure out the model and the content model for VR.
2: And in fact, if you could get us some of those headsets, because we came all the way here for mm-hmm. the that's podcast, true. And it's a great. Totally w- I'm having so much it. fun. Pick up gift bags. I feel like that would be an appropriate gift for this. So whenever you have the opportunity you get a VR to pick one up, headset.
1: Oh, see everyone. We're working VR. on yeah. your brand exactly. as your representative. Same. In fact,
2: maybe we should be the first people to start a VR podcast. There we um, go. In which we're Oculus, spinning... if you're listening. <laughs> Facebook, if you want to. Mark sponsor Zuckerberg, this.
1: he just went back to work today. Mm. So let me let me send out some emails.
2: I'll I'll get back to you. Perfect.
0: We'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. speaking of which, where do we find you guys online? How can people get in touch if they want to learn more? Or reach out.
2: I am available. I usually use my Instagram a lot. I really like that. I have over three thousand followers. Wow. I mean, this is like this is a big deal. So I'm about to get the that brand deal money soon. Totally kidding, but you that's,
1: laugh. No, you can probably get. I, right? probably that's really cool. Let me know. I know. Time. There we go.
2: It's just my name, Jordan Morona. I'm also on Twitter, but I started a new account, so it's. I think it's just under my name as well there and LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Although you know, some people have stopped using LinkedIn. I still use LinkedIn. And I I check out a lot of colleagues on there. Again,
1: not creepy at all. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Name screen names, (laughs) name profiles, Friendster accounts.
1: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Jackie Coppell, K-O-P-P-E-L-L. No, not on MySpace. Mm, You're just old. (laughs) Friendster. Yeah, you can find me there. Facebook as well. Newsy News, youtube.com slash N-E-W-S-Y, N-E-W-S. I would love your subscribe. Please click to work that was a good cta Do you hear that yeah. nice thank She's you yes. that's i have been i have that's good been.
2: especially at the end of the broadcasting mm-hmm. that's right nice. yeah. yeah. i know Hopefully. we'll get an
0: clickable annotation there please. there's yes. a large engagement metadata. i love yeah. it yeah. nice
1: every say every everyone counts and you work for every single one and that's i mean i'm so impressed with the people who who really have grown these diehard communities because it is hard and it is particularly hard today it gets it's gets more and more convoluted and uh, busier in the YouTube world. And so if you can build an audience now, man, please tell me how. I'm trying to learn even more.
2: Well, thumbnails and titling are really important.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) 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 Yes, they are. They are very important. Uh, And I I kid a bit. But in all seriousness, it's pretty incredible what people are creating.
2: A little known fact, I was the 14th subscriber. So really to newsy news, to news, news.
0: Is. I was Thanks. the 11,000th and 70th subscriber. That's really so cool. there's still room. People can get involved. People,
1: people can get involved. <laughs> That's right. There is no ceiling guys. Right. There is no ceiling.
0: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This was awesome. Great fun. Incredible insights. I am a, still a foreigner to talent management in the whole world of working with influencers. So I learned a lot and uh, really great insights. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much for it's having terrific. us. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of all things video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.